What's up? And welcome to Espresso with Erin and Sarit, the show where you go to gain the confidence and self-empowerment that you need to live your best and most authentic life. Tough love conversations to reveal the simple truths that will transform your relationships, your body, and your bank account. We are your hosts. I'm Erin. And I'm Sarit. And we are on a mission to transform the lives of millions through the same fitness, nutrition, lifestyle, and financial habits that have transformed ours. Good Friday! And happy noon o'clock, you guys. And happy Fit Aid with Erin and Sarit and guest. Because today's a special day. It's Friday, as you guys know. We've got a very special guest today on a Flexi Friday. And you guys are about to get your mind blown. So let's begin. You guys, today we have a very special guest with us, a dear friend, Mike Carberry, doctor of chiropractic, is an entrepreneur, author, and public speaker. After an accident that occurred that changed the course of his life, Dr. Carberry decided to pursue chiropractic practice from 1987 to 1991. He attended Life University in Atlanta, Georgia to obtain a doctorate of chiropractic. He's also a nationally sought out after speaker on topics ranging from business to healthcare, economics, and the opioid crisis. He can be found regularly hosting the AMI Today podcast and has delivered continuing education on medical necessity in Texas, Ohio, Florida, and California, as well as online in 35 states. In his recently published book, The Death of American Healthcare, he provides a fearless description of how we are a part of a pill-based healthcare system that created the opioid crisis. And as he mentions it, there is a cure to all of this. And we couldn't agree more with you, Mike. As co-founder of Advanced Medical Integration, aka AMI, Dr. Carberry is forwarding a model of responsible pain management by helping businesses dominate local, regional, and national markets. As AMI's visionary leader, his mission is to help end the opioid crisis in the United States through the health healthcare system. And today, we're going to be finding out about all of his work, his mission, and how he's doing just that. So, Mike Careberry, welcome. Thank you. What a great introduction. I was getting nervous hearing that. I think she just called you a Careberry, which is <laughs> I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> your new nickname. So I'm going to get you a shirt with a heart. It says Careberry. So you can be Mike Careberry. Okay. Uh, you forgot one thing on my bio. I'm also a 10Xer. Oh! <laughs> yes. Do we have any? There you go. <laughs> great. Um, I mean, you know what, since you brought like the, the 10X movement, um, let's begin with that question. What does 10X mean to you, Mike? Uh, 10X is a way to take your business to 10 times the level it was at before. But, you know, when you get to 10, you go, why stop there? So it's actually how to exponentially reach out and, and have your product, your service embraced by the community and how to get it to more people and, and to succeed at your, what you're doing and your mission. And that's really big for me because I'm very mission oriented. We love people who are mission oriented. Yeah. Well, 
a lot of missions we need to have accomplished in this world. You know, I feel like unless there is something that's bigger than yourself, you're not going to be driven towards your higher purpose. That's exactly right. You know, it's funny because when I got started, you mentioned I had an injury and I have a business, a background in business. I have a marketing degree and I was working for uh, an affiliate of Dun & Bradstreet. And I had a, a really good career going from a monetary standpoint. But when I got hurt, it was like, you know, I, I was searching for an answer. And finally, the answer came in the form of a chiropractor and it changed my life. And I was hesitant to go into that because my wife's family is very um, medically oriented. My wife's a physical therapist and a brother-in-law researcher for a pharmaceutical company, sister who's a vice president of safety of another pharmaceutical company. And so I wasn't very um, quick to reach the chiropractic, but when I did and it changed me, all of a sudden I had this mission and I became unstoppable at what I was trying to do because, you know, what happened to me, I don't want that to happen to other people. Yeah. Your mess becomes your message. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because um, I started from the idea of a chiropractor and there's a thing called straight chiropractic, which means you only believe in chiropractic, that that's all you think the patient needs. And I was that way, but I started realizing there's more to it. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about, I think, today, how I got into that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, can't wait to find out more. So tell us, how did AMI start? Well, it's interesting. You know, I um, I became a chiropractor. I, I, I had a very large practice because I was driven by my mission. My mission was to get the world under chiropractic care. So, you know, the way a lot of chiropractors measure the size of their practice is how many people they treat in one week. And um, I think one out of five chiropractors will ever see more than 200 visits in a week. Well, when I got to 700, I was like, okay, this is good. This is helping people. They're having miracles that never happened before, but it's not everything. They need more. And I'm married to a physical therapist and you met Colleen and Colleen's, her specialty was in head injury. So that was like people who had strokes and went through the windshield of a car, she would rehabilitate them. So we started thinking, you know, what would happen if we worked together and we did some research and we found uh, different types of rehab that is very complementary to chiropractic. One of them was based on a medical doctor named Vladimir Yanda, and he called it upper cross, lower cross syndrome. And that's what we gravitated to. So the plan was we we're going to work together as a PT and a DC, but we we're in Pennsylvania. And at that time, Pennsylvania would not allow a chiropractor to write an order for a physical therapist. And it's one of the few states that did that. So we were like, well, what do we do now? And somebody said, well, why don't you bring a medical doctor in and he can write the orders. And I was like, not a medical doctor. No way. That's the worst person. And I was wrong about that. Um, I thought medical doctors were just ready to write a lot of scripts. And what I found was there's a lot of them who are tired of writing scripts and they were looking for something different. So we started a practice in 1996, converted our chiropractic practice to a medical practice. And we had three medical doctors come on board and, and that was the beginning of it. But that didn't start AMI. That started my own personal integrated practice. And I didn't really have many people to, to turn to to ask, how do you do it? Because it had hardly been done up to that point. So I had to turn to attorneys and we spent a lot of money. We, we had three goals in mind. I, I got everybody to agree that number one, what we're going to do is to improve the outcome of the patient. Number two, we got to do it in a compliant way so we don't get in trouble. And then number three, we got to do it in a way that's profitable so we don't go broke while we're helping all these people. And we succeeded at that. And um, I was going to uh, start a, a company where we taught this model. Unfortunately, the people that I was asked to start that with did not agree with that philosophy. They agreed with, let's make money. And then after that, we'll make more money. And then after that, it'd be all about the money. So I broke with them very quickly 
and I had a bad taste in my mouth. So I swore I'll never work with or as a consultant again. So my wife and I, um, we started studying business. We studied EMIT. If you've ever heard of that, Brandon Dawson talks a lot about EMIT. We actually did the two-year mastery program and we wrote up all of our systems for our integrated practice so we can open up multiple practices. And in 2007, we finished that program and we opened three practices in the state of Tennessee. I've never lived in Tennessee and they all, they all took off and they all worked. So what happened was we were doing great. And I had these guys calling me um, who later became my business partners, Bob Bielhart and Eric Huntington. And they were saying to me, Hey, listen, we have a chiropractic consulting company. We, everybody wants to learn how to do integration. Everybody tells us that you're the master of it and you do it for the right reasons and you're ethical. We want you to start a consulting company. And literally I went like this, uh, no thanks, click and hung up on them. And they kept trying to get back to me, but something happened that changed everything. So I'm going to tell you a little story. Is that okay? Yes. Can I ask you a question beforehand? So I just want to make sure that I'm clear because I'm over here taking notes, as you can see. But the reason why you said that you didn't want to be like, you know, a consultant for these businesses is because all they cared about was profit. They did not care as much about, you know, improving the clients or maybe in in your world, you say patients while being compliant at the same time, correct? That's correct. But, you know, let me, let me, so I don't sound like I'm some hero. I'm a business person and I believe that if you run a business and you focus your business on making money, you will fail. But I believe if you focus your business on satisfying a, an obstacle or a problem that your clients have, you'll succeed. So that's why I believe that. You know, I, I guess to give the example of, um, I can't think of a good example, but let's say I was in the shipbuilding business. You know, I would want to make sure that I built really good ships, not that I made a lot of profit off of it. That would, the profit should follow and I have no problem with profit. But I believe if you make a great product or service, the profits will automatically follow. There's a book I read a long time ago by a guy named Wallace Waddle. He wrote it in 1905, and that's not when I read it because I wasn't even around then. But um, he said it's called The Science of Getting Rich. And basically, the whole premise of the book, which is very easy to read, is as long as what you're giving your customer is more valuable than what they give you, you will get rich. And I believe that. And I have done very well. So, I mean, my, my, my premise, my philosophy, um, it holds true for me up to this point in my career. So I've never focused on let's just make a lot of money. I focused on let's get a lot of people well. But let me tell you this story and that'll make it a little bit clearer. I didn't want to do consulting because I thought it was all about money and it was all about that. And what happened was my brother, who's a police officer, called me up one day and said, hey, um, we're having trouble with his son. They kicked him out of the house. And I didn't realize this at the time, but um, I found out very quickly he had an ankle injury. The kid was real athletic, baseball player, skateboarder, surfer, like exceptional at surfing and skateboarding and skiing because I've skied with him. And he, he injured his ankle skateboarding at 17 years old. And he went to a doctor and the doctor thought, well, the enemy is the pain. So let me give him something for the pain. So he gave him an opioid prescription. And so at 17, if you give a kid an opioid, you mean the ankle injury healed up by itself. But by 19, he was a heroin addict. And so my brother, he, you know, when he started stealing their jewelry and their, their electronics and everything else, he kicked them out of the house. And I was sitting in Georgia at the time. That's where my wife and I lived. And um, I remember getting that phone call and I got off the phone and I said to my wife, I am not going to go to that kid's funeral. So I'm going to fly up there and I'm going to do something about it. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something about it. So I started making phone calls, got an interventionist on the phone and 
He said, yeah, I can help you with that. So I called up the family. I said, I'm coming up. I want you to be ready. So I flew up to New Jersey. Um, we got there and I started explaining, we're going to get him into a program. And they said, we already got him into three programs. And here's what happens. They put him in a program for a month. The insurance runs out. They give him bus fare, which is about 20 bucks. And he runs out and buys heroin with it. And it happened three times in a row. So I knew that wasn't going to work. So we actually got him into a program that cost a lot more than what the insurance covered. And then I covered the rest of it. And um, then I had my nephew pay me back later, but uh, he paid me back by working for me. And there was a dual purpose for that. But what I did was I had to go up and find him. Now, I don't know if you ever tried to find a heroin addict on the street, but it is not a pretty picture. And it was the most emotionally draining thing I ever did. And we, we searched around and finally we found him a day and a half later. And we're all underslept now. And um, we get him in a room and he didn't, he, he was just, he just bought heroin and he just shot it up and we were ruining his high and we were the worst people in the world for that. And uh, he had no eyebrows. And I remember asking the interventionist, why does he have no eyebrows? And he said, because when they can't get the heroin, they get crack and they make a pipe out of a beer can and they're trying to light it and they burn their eyebrows off. That freaked me out more than anything else because I didn't even recognize him at first. And then, um, you know, it took like five hours to get him to realize that we loved him. And all he had to do was say, yes, I want to get on an airplane and go get help. We, he finally agreed. And um, we got him there. And, you know, he was there for months and cleaned him up. And he realized why he was, you know, the, the reason behind the wanting to do the drugs. And anyway, he, he cleaned up. He went back to New Jersey. But after that incident, and, and actually there's a, a little bit more to that. He had a, a relapse. So the first time I went, he fought us for five hours. So I went up to him the second time. They said, he, you know, he's not doing heroin, but he's back doing drugs. And he was hanging out with his old friends. So I went up there. Uh, they, he was back home. His mom said he's downstairs sleeping. I got there first thing in the morning. I had the interventionist with him, with me. We went downstairs. I tapped him on the foot. He wakes up. He looks at me. And he, he started crying. And he said, I didn't think you were going to come back the second time. And I said, let's go. He goes, I'm with you. And we, we went, it was no fight this time. He just went with me. I said, but here's the deal. This time, after you come out, you're going to live with me for a year and pay me back for everything I paid for this. And that was a smart move because when he got away from that crowd and he came out and assimilated into the environment with me and I had him working in my clinics in Tennessee and he was doing work around my house. And to this day, I mean, it's a decade later, he's still clean. But what happened was that's when we were getting these phone calls from my future partners. And at one point, I, we went and met them and we realized they were not all about money. And Colleen and I were sitting there and I said, you know, Colleen, if we were teaching this model, we could have prevented him from going down that path. And this is our fault. So that's why we started AMI. That's amazing. You said something so powerful. And this whole time I was just thinking, and uh, it's right here too, like the power of your environment. Yeah. If oh, yeah. If you stay in the same environment, you know, Grant Cardone talks about the same struggle that he went through every day. I promised myself I was not going to do drugs. And then 10 right. minutes later, because you're in the same environment. You know? that's so right. that's He's married now. He has a house. He has a, a, a job. He also has a, um, a small business. And so he's really productive member of society. That's so amazing. it worked out great. But um, that is the reason we started AMI eight years ago is when we did it. And um, we're on a mission. So tell, tell us about in your mission. I, I want to know what AMI stands for. Advanced Medical Integration. So let me explain those words. So you know what advanced is and you know what medical is. Integration means different parts working together in unison and working like a machine. So when I first had medical doctors come into my practice, everybody was calling it MDDC, meaning medical doctor, doctor of chiropractic, or multidiscipline. And I started realizing multidiscipline 
is different doctors working in the same facility, but integrated is different doctors working on the same patient. And that's what we do. So when a patient comes in, they're treated by the team, not by one person. And the team works. We have team meetings twice a day. They discuss every patient. They go over their history, their x-rays, their, their exam findings, their re-exam findings, so that as we're progressing them through the program, we know that they're getting better. That sounds I, so good. I'm just so pumped for what you guys are doing. Yeah. Well, so we came up with this thing called responsible pain management, and it's our mission. We we're talking about missions. So AMI, we've created our mission, and that is to introduce and forward the idea of responsible pain management. We call it RPM. And we trademarked that because, you know, I've never heard that, that phrase before. And I thought that's something that people could gravitate to. And my gosh, is that true? When I start to say it to people, I got on a plane the other night flying back from Chattanooga and sat down next to the woman, her daughter, and she sat down next to me. And uh, they asked me what I did. And I told them and they're like, oh, wow, you're, you're working to stop opioids? And I'm like, yeah. And they said, we just watched a whole thing called uh, The Empire of Pain. And um, so I'm going to read that book now. But they were, they were, they were like, this is so needed. When I told them about responsible pain management, they went, yeah, that's what we need to do. So can I explain to you what responsible pain management is? Please. Okay, so AMI's mission is to forward the concept of responsible pain management. So if you look at pain, um, the number one source of pain is back pain. There's a lot of different types of pains. There's pain from cancer, there's pain from injury. But if you look at it, the number one reason to be in the hospital is to be born. And number two is back pain. So if you look at the cost of back pain, just the medication alone in, in uh, 2013 was over $313 billion. So for back huge, pain only? Just for back pain. No other type of pain, just for what back pain. Frame? What time frame? Uh, 2013. So hey, you look at it. Either. I want to uh, okay. see the chat because I had back surgery like two and a half years ago and I was definitely in the hospital for it. So mm -hmm. I want to know like how many people, um, like for one, are experiencing back pain or have experienced back pain or have been in the hospital because of back pain. I want to see. Okay. So I'm going to give you some stats. If I'm going to go fast, tell me to slow down yeah. if I need to slow down. So Nine out of 10 people, it's estimated, will have a major problem with their spine in their lifetime. Nine out of 10. Yeah. So if you look at history and you go back, when was the first time they started talking about back pain? They found cave paintings in Pointe-la-Mer, France, from caveman times on instructions on manipulating the spine. Um, Socrates, or I'm sorry, Hippocrates, the father of medicine from ancient Greece, used spinal manipulation for back problems because they were so prevalent. If you look at Roman history, Claudius Galen became the head of all healthcare in Rome because he manipulated the neck of a Roman senator who had a paralyzed hand and he got the use of his hand back. So back problems and spinal manipulation to treat it has been the standard for thousands of years, like 20,000 years or 15,000. Um, it's only now that it's considered like, oh, that's a new type of thing and it's not really proven. That's not true. Um, there's been more cultures use spinal manipulation than there has been who have not. Native American cultures. I, I treat a lot of Hispanics and they tell me in Mexico, my father used to live in Mexico, that there's a type of doctor you can get that's not a real doctor, but they're Native Americans in Mexico called Waceros, and Waceros manipulate the spine. So this is something that's been around for ages. And chiropractic was discovered in 1895, and that is where they've actually put a science to it. It was a guy named D.D. Palmer, who was a magnetic healer. He used magnets to get people well. 
And I've had people say, well, that's hocus pocus. And I go, well, that's what an MRI is based upon. You know, the, the orientation of the positive and negative of the cells in, in deranged cells. So it's not that far out there. But he realized that when the, the body runs on an electrical system and the electricity is generated in the brain and those wires go through your spine, the most injured part of the body. So he thought if we could free up the movement of those vertebrae so they don't put pressure on those nerves, people could get improved health. The very first patient he worked on was deaf and he got his hearing back. So that was a guy named Harvey Lillard. To this day, his descendants still have the Harvey Lillard Foundation um, because it's a true story. And now that doesn't mean chiropractic cures deafness, but apparently that man's deafness came from a problem with the spine. So that's how it all got started. But what chiropractic is just one of the ingredients we have in responsible pain management. Um, chiropractic has had the deck stacked against it since it got started in 1895. Uh, presidents of the American Medical Association declared war on chiropractic. Chiropractors sued the AMA in 1972. The lawsuit was settled in 1987. The federal judge, it got all the way up to the federal appeals court. Susan Gessendaner was a judge and she said, indeed, chiropractic has been, um, been boycotted and um, uh, attacked by the American Medical Association because it doesn't sell drugs. So that's actually a proven case that was decided in 1987. So, and that's when I graduated, or that's when I started chiropractic school. But anyway, long story short, chiropractic still has a stigma and only one out of 10 people go to a chiropractor in this country. Um, so part of it was, how do I get the other nine to go when what we're treating is something that is the most common thing that people treat? You know, you look at it, you go, the outcome of what you're trying to do, if you're going to treat a patient is, number one, you don't want to harm them. That's the Hippocratic Oath which is named after Hippocrates, who did spinal manipulation. So every medical doctor takes Hippocratic Oath. Do no harm is number one. So we don't want to do harm. Chiropractors have the lowest injury rate of all doctors because we have the lowest malpractice. That's why we have the lowest malpractice. So we don't want to harm them, but we also want to help them. So the viewpoint as a chiropractor is the pain is not the enemy. The pain is the side effect of the problem. And the doctor should figure out what is the problem fix that and the pain will go away and stay away. So chiropractic is not the only ingredient in this. We do rehab based on uh, Dr. Yanda, who is a medical doctor. We do trigger point injections based on uh, Dr. Janet Travell, another medical doctor who um, worked on John F. Kennedy. And it's um, somebody saying it's true. We didn't have a single lesson on chiropractic care in my kinesiology major in college. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, same thing happens. I have plenty of medical doctors that tell me plenty of stories about you know, they would, they would try to get us biased against chiropractic with statements. They would say, my wife even said when she was in school, they would always use a, a bad example of a bad doctor, and it was always a chiropractor. So, um, you know, there's this emphasis to try to stop chiropractic because the most profitable industry in the world is pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Let me show you how profitable. If you look at healthcare for the entire world, the United States is 4.2% of the world's population. So that means it, only 4.2%, 95.8% is the rest of the world. Our healthcare bill is more than the entire rest of the world combined. So you figure, okay, if we're spending the most money, we should get the best result. So there's a group called the Office of Economic and Cooperative Development of the United Nations. That's 35 of the richest countries in the world. The United States is the richest. And their job is to help the other countries move up the scale and become civilized. The first thing they go look at is healthcare. 
So of those 35 countries, the United States ranks 29th in infant mortality, meaning 28 of those countries, a baby has a better chance of surviving their first year of life than they do in the United States. We rank 26th in life expectancy, meaning 25 of the 35 countries live longer than Americans do. In fact, when you look at the entire world, there's 195 countries in the UN, the United States ranks 64th place in life expectancy, meaning 63 countries have a better chance of living longer than Americans, and our healthcare bill is more expensive than all the healthcare bills put together. So you can imagine, there's a car race, you know, they have a, a stock car race, and everybody finds out one of the guys driving a car, his car costs more than the other 194 drivers combined. And they do the race, and he comes in 64th place. What would you say? What would you tell that guy to do? You say, hang it up because you suck at racing, right? Because if you have the most expensive car in a race and you took 64th place, you obviously spent the money on the wrong thing. That's exactly where we are in healthcare. That's exactly where we are in healthcare. And it's all because our viewpoint is pain is the enemy. So what do you do for pain? You cover it up. It's yeah. the same. It's very much the same in the um, in the food industry, and it make it like it's infuriating. Like, yeah, you have to ask why. Like it, it's not a mystery, and it that doesn't like accidentally happen. Right. And I'm not sorry to say that it does not accidentally happen. It's the same in the food industry, and it like same like it infuriates us that like the companies that hold the most financial stake in the food industry are like have the ability to turn it into what they would like it to be. Right. You know? And so then it just, it makes it, even when people think they're doing the right thing, because that's what they're being told it's harmful. And that is, it doesn't happen by accident. It's so frustrating. Well, if you look back at the history of the FDA, it used to be called the, um, the Bureau of Chemistry. And it was started by a guy named Dr. Wiley. And Dr. Wiley said, you know, this is back in the 1910 era. Okay, all these chemicals we're starting to put in our food so it lasts longer on a shelf is not good for people. So like bromating flour and, and, and extracting flour and just into a white flour and taking all the other ingredients out and, and putting chemicals and making soda pop and all that stuff. He said, that's got to come out of our food. Well, what happened was the food industry got up in arms and they got him fired. And then they, the next guy came in and eventually that organization became the Food and Drug Administration. You think that a doctor would think that food is important, but because med, um, the education of medical doctors is usually funded by pharmaceutical schools, most medical schools have less than a one hour requirement for nutrition for the doctor to graduate. So that's why there's no emphasis on good quality food in this country. We eat a lot of crap and that crap comes back and makes us sick. And you go, well, why would they want to make us sick? Because there's a lot of money in it. I'll give you an example. Um, well, I'm not going to get political. I'm just going to say the, the Affordable Care Act that was passed in 2010. One of the statements in that bill is the insurance industry is not allowed to make more than 15% of the total cost of health care. And when you first hear that, you go, well, that's good because they make a lot of money. Those insurance companies shouldn't make any more than 15%. So here's the question. If you were an insurance company, would you want the price of health care to be a million? a billion or a trillion trillion yeah because you're going to get 15 percent of it so the affordable care pa- act passed in 2010 the cost of healthcare in the united states was 2.4 trillion dollars fast forward 10 years it's 3.3 trillion dollars 
So the Affordable Care Act increased the cost of health care by 30% in 10 years. You look at that, you go, well, at least we have insurance. Well, 70, the number one reason for personal bankruptcy in the United States, two-thirds of people who file bankruptcy file that because they have unpaid medical bills. And 72% of those people had insurance. Yep. So you go, well, what's going on? Well, if you were, if you were a, a drug company, I mean, sorry, if you were an insurance company and you wanted to make a bigger 15%, would you invest in things that are expensive or inexpensive? Expensive. Right. And would you invest in things that work or have to be repeated? Have to be repeated. Right. So the typical chiropractor, if you ask them, I've asked this to hundreds, have you ever treated a herniated disc? They go, yes. What was your success rate? 95%. How much did you get paid by the insurance company? Between two and $3,000. Then you look at the medical side, you go to a surgeon and say, have you ever treated a herniated disc? Yes. How much did it cost? Between fifty dollars and $100,000. What's the success rate? 25%. You go, if you want to make money by making expensive healthcare more expensive, that's the way you're going to go. And then with that comes the drugs, the opioids, so people don't feel the pain, so they just shut up and go along with it. And there's a, so many doctors that I've met over my last two years or two decades of my career saying, I am so sick of prescribing drugs. All it is is drug, 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 and I'm sick of it. And that's why they like to work with us. So that's our, our mission. Our vision is even how do, how do we handle that? Um, do you want me to go into that? Yes. I want a really quick, like, it makes sure. me think about your um, master's mm -hmm. and the thesis that you wrote. Mm -hmm. And I want you to, like, just so you can understand, too, how on the same page we are. Like, mm -hmm. what happened when you wrote your master's thesis and where, what, where, where were you at? What were you studying? Yeah. So, you know, I, I got my master's in biomedic, biomedical ethics. And throughout those entire years, I realized one thing. I'm like, I want to do everything that's possible so that people don't get there. Because once you understand how the pharmaceutical industry works, and what goes on in hospitals, and I'm not saying that all doctors are bad, I think that some of them are lovely, but because it is governed by a certain industry, most people just don't think for themselves. That's just the right. reality of it. And if they do, then a lot of them get, you know, like shat on. So it takes a lot of courage. But, yeah. you know, my master's thesis uh, for biomedical ethics ended up being self care is healthcare. Um, you know, and I basically shat on the entire pharmaceutical industry and my professors were so upset, um, you know, and though my, you know, thesis was so good, they ended up not giving me the full grade just because it didn't go line in line with what. Right. You know. Which is totally wrong. It should be based on your effort and your academics um, right. in, involved in that, not on your opinion. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is uh, the reasonable man tries to adapt himself to the world. The unreasonable one tries to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends upon the unreasonable man. Yes. That's George Bernard Shaw. And that sounds like we're both unreasonable people. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I yeah. started going to school for nursing. I started taking the prerequisites and I went to um, a nursing assistant and we did our clinicals. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Just like watching what what was going on and i was just like i want to help people before they like you like i want to help people before they get so i want to help people not get to this point right and i right. was a personal trainer beforehand and i went back to personal training and then we got into this because nutritionally like you know um movement is food and food is medicine yep. and so 
so much healing can happen if you are really caring for yourself mentally, spiritually, physically. Yep. We're on the same boat. Here's what I've told doctors for years. There's three causes. Like if you get involved in healthcare and you want to get to the root of the problem and fix the problem, there's three causes of disease, mental, structural, and chemical. And the chemistry is not a deficiency of opioids. It's a deficiency of nutrients in your food. So if you approach the, that view, that uh, take that approach to disease and you say, well, I want to fix this person, it's probably a combination of all three, which is one I could get on and start to improve it that will improve the other two. Because we know that if somebody has a back problem, which is a very, very common thing, it starts to work on their psyche. And now the, the standard of care is if somebody has chronic pain, this is horrible. This just started coming out in the last couple of years. If somebody has chronic pain, they must be crazy. So they put them on psych drugs. They put them on antidepressants. So now it's a poly medication thing where they're putting them on both. That's what they did to a lot of the um, vets coming back from Iraq. Well, they must be having this pain because they have a lot of depression. So let's put them on an antipsychotic or antidepressant as well. And that causes even more problems. So if people just had good nutrition and good exercise and a positive mental attitude, they probably wouldn't get sick very much. Um, but that doesn't happen. And we're not taught that. What we're taught, and, and you hit a good point. You said, you know, most of the doctors are lovely. And I agree with you. I would say 80% of people who got into medical school or into a nurse practitioner program or a PA program or osteopathic school, 80% of them did it because they genuinely wanted to help people. It's the system that is corrupt. And the system, you know, who runs the, who sets the standard of care in medicine? Well, it's the American Medical Association. And if you start looking at that organization and you look at their history, you go, they have a pretty dubious past. I mean, one of their presidents went to jail for trying to kill his wife. And then uh, that was a, a guy named George Simmons. And then he was taken over by a guy named Morris Fishbein, who hated chiropractic. And neither one of them actually had their medical degree. One of them went to medical school, but he, um, he never got his license. The other one lied and said he went to medical school. But uh, that takes you all the way up to 1950. And that's when the war on chiropractic was declared because chiropractic didn't sell drugs. So you go, why does the AMA have this? I mean, why don't the doctors stop it? Well, what I've learned working with medical doctors over the years is that the majority of them don't belong to the AMA. It's less than 8%. Now, right now, officially, the AMA is claiming 12% membership, which is still pathetic. But they got that 12% by giving free membership to medical students and to retired doctors. So, you know, I have a, a nephew who just graduated medical school and he said they were all over him trying to get him to join the AMI, or, I mean, the uh, AMA. They were offering him gift cards to stores and restaurants um, to try to get him to join. And I said, to join him. And he said, no, all the professors at, um, I don't want to say the university because I don't want to get at school in trouble, but they said, don't join the AMA. That's the drug companies. And it is. They are funded by the American Pharmaceutical Advertising Council. So they own the billing codes. They're the ones that determine who gets paid what in healthcare. That is why a chiropractor gets paid so little and gets audited so much. Uh, whereas a surgeon doing the surgery that has a huge failure rate gets paid all the time. It's a shame. It, it comes down to money and it's a, um, it's a monopoly right in front of our face that nobody knows is there. The three highest paid executives, if you look at all industry in the United States, what are the three highest paid executives. Number one is top executives of hospitals. Number two is pharmaceutical. Number three is insurance. And they just keep feeding each other. And that's the monopoly right there. Nobody else can get into that game. And if you do, they attack you. When I wrote that book, 
Grant Cardone told me, you better be careful writing that book. You're going to have somebody follow you home, run you off the road, and they're going to find you, you know, with a bullet in your head. And I actually sat down with my family and talked to them and said, you know, this is a real possibility. And they said, Dad, you've been talking about this forever. If you don't write that book, you're going to, it'll kill you. So we wrote it. I, I published it. But um, what is it, it called again? It's called The Death of American Healthcare. And we, we, we were publishing it on Amazon. And then for some reason, they won't tell us why Amazon just stopped publishing it. But my nephew pointed out, did you know that Amazon got in the pharmaceutical market? What? That's what I heard. I don't know if it's true, but that's what I heard. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, uh, they can get it on our website. But um, you know, what's the yeah, website? Where, where what's can the we, website? Can we find it? AMIDoctors.com. And uh, let me give you a, they have a, they told me to say this. AMIDoctors.com slash we dash R dash AMI. So, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you get riled up, but then you go, well, you know what? This is a really good career to have, you know, where I'm actually doing something really good. I'm correcting a wrong. And um, it's just, I think if, if I solve this problem tomorrow, I'd probably retire because I'd be bored. Um, yeah. But right now I'm not even close to solving this problem. So I have a really exciting, you know, vision for going forward. And that vision is actually pretty good. So you would That's use like- Okay. So that's where Dawson comes in and, and uh, Grant. So um, we met Grant and my wife said, hey, we got to get to know um, Grant Cardone. So we bought really expensive tickets and somehow she negotiated that we get to interview him with those tickets. So we yeah. did. We had two hours. So we broke them up. We went one time together and we went another time together. And we told him what our mission is. And he fell in love with the mission. He's like, you know what? That is so good for people. It is such a great thing. And by the way, you guys probably know this. When you get Grant in a room by himself, He's just a, a big teddy bear. So okay. he he's like, I'll do anything I can to support you. So then we called him up and said, we would like you to speak at our convention. So he agreed to that. And he spoke to our convention and he brought Brandon with him. Yes. That's how we met Brandon. And then, you know, the rest is history. Brandon has this background of taking doctors and teaching them business sense so they can succeed. Well, when he and he did it with audiology first and then he did it with dentists. And when he was talking to me about this, all of a sudden I realized, the problem I have with this is how do you fight the money? How do you fight the big giants? They have all this money and anything we bring up, they just squash us. So the plan is to make ourselves big enough to stand up to them. So what we're planning is we are working with doctors. We have 750 clients around the United States and 48 states. Um, we're going to work with the top 250 and get them to run their business like a corporation. And we created SBUs. We have our own, AMI does, strategic business units. And these are experts in finance, operations, marketing, and finance operations, marketing, and uh, human resources or people, which is the toughest one. Because as you grow your business, that's where your problems are. So they are coaching our doctors to actually grow their practice to a successful level of around 8 to $12 million revenue a year. And when they get to that level, they can no longer be a technician in that business because it's too hard to run a business that big as a technician. So now they're running it as an executive and they're in a position to duplicate the practice. So then they go to three practices. So then we have 250 clients with three, three practices each doing about 30 million total between three practices. You add that up, it comes about $8 billion. And then AMI is growing as we do this. So to encourage the doctors to help us do it, we give them ownership once they hit certain benchmarks into AMI. So then AMI will be worth 
probably over a billion dollars. And then we can sit at the table with a drug company or an insurance company and say, no, it's not going to go that way. Our lawyers here will match your lawyers there. And we're going to change healthcare. And we're going to do it in the next three to five years. Come on. Hey, we're not we're not doctors in in what you guys do, but we are we are on the same train. And mm -hmm. if there's anything that we can do or any way that we can help, because we too are looking to bring our business to that level as well. Right. Well, the reason I agreed to do this podcast is because you're one of the three pillars of the causes of health problems or the causes of health. Right. If you if you exercise and you eat right, there's two pillars. So I went, all right, so we're all in the same game. We're just attacking it from different angles. So the more we join together, the more we link together. And I have a feeling that Grant Cardone is going to help us do that. Then the more powerful we'll all get. Because just imagine if all those businesses were aligned, not just my company, but your company and other companies like it, we could be worth $40 billion. And what that'll do is it'll shift money in healthcare away from pharmaceuticals and into stuff like this. So the total cost of healthcare will come considerably down. It's just, it'll be redistributing the profit to the people that are actually doing the work to get people well, not the companies that are inventing drugs. Come on. Hey, we're here building the ENS army. So there you go. we're, we're, we're planning to, to be backup attack. So yeah. we're like allies now. So we're oh, two different armies. We've been, armies. been allies since day one. Same so you know, hearing this is, so exciting for one and a huge congratulations like you know when i saw you on christian like all i say is like i love what you guys are about because i i truly do believe in all of that like is it any wonder why now more than ever the pharmaceutical in, in industry and you know the monopoly that's within it is like you know the the most affluent it's ever been meanwhile i'm all about affluence if you're adding value and changing lives right but Meanwhile, depression is at the highest it's ever been. Suicide yep. rates are at the highest it's ever yep. been. People are more overweight than they've ever been. People yep. are more anxious than they've ever been. And, no, and nobody goes and is like, why is this happening? People just, you know, like keep on taking stuff. And I'm like, come on now. So well, I mean, we did surveys with patients before we opened up in cities that we didn't live in. And we'd ask them. Do you, um, what do you do for health? Well, I, I don't really like going to doctors. Do you go to doctor? Yes. If the doctor what treats you and gives you a recommendation, what will it be? And they always say a medication. What do you do? I take it. Do you think it'll work? No. Why do you take it? Because that's all I know. Because they told me. So here's what it is. Pendulum has swung all the way. And you know what happens when it gets to there? It starts swinging back. So you mentioned Christian. Christian worked for two pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And had a great career in pharmaceuticals and got fed up with the shifting of the money and how little they cared about their employees that he jumped ship. When he heard about AMI, he was like, I'm there. I, when I asked him in his interview, I said, um, you know, you worked in the pharmaceutical industry and we're not really very, uh, you know, there's certain drugs that save people, but we think it's way overdone in this country. How do you feel about that? And his words were this. Oh, they're in the business of keeping people sick. I'm done with that. I'm ready to get people well. Yeah, there's so, a time and a place for certain things, but yeah. you know, it's if you're in the business of making people sick, which I'm not even gonna go down the rabbit hole, but like you are a criminal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can tell you this the Sackler brothers, that Sackler family should be found guilty of crimes against humanity. 
because they they fudged their stats to make it seem like that, those drugs. They actually came out and said these drugs are not addictive when they first brought opioids. I mean, come on, heroin is not addictive. Are you kidding me? Now they weren't selling heroin. They were selling something much stronger, and it, they were extremely addictive. And one out of three get addicted in the first three pills. Yeah. Wow. So I, I was on a fishing trip because I'm a big outdoorsman. I love to fish. That's my boat in the background. But anyway, um, so I was on a fishing trip in Oregon. And I get on the boat and, you know, there's six of us and there's a woman standing next to me and she's fishing. And, you know, you spend all day on a boat in like eight foot seas talking to somebody, you get to know them. So it turns out she's a prison guard. And I said, so, uh, oh, that's interesting. She didn't even ask me what I did. I, I, what do you do? I'm a prison guard. Really? For the state of Oregon, I'm in a women's prison. Oh, wow. And she said, um, you know, the demographics of prison has really changed in the last 10 years. Now, I didn't tell her who I was. And I said, what do you mean? She said, there's people in prison that shouldn't be in prison. And I looked at her, I'm like, like who? She goes, because of these opioids, there are executives of businesses getting addicted and go, turning to crime to pay for their fix. And that's who's in prison. I was shocked. She, I never told her what I did. No, I think after that I did. But up to that point, I never told her what I did. And this just comes out of her mouth. And I'm like, this is incredible that this is this bad. And it just keeps happening. So the pendulum has swung far enough. Enough people are going, this is ridiculous. Enough is enough. And it's going to start to swing back. Christian is a gem, by the way. He is. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah we, hi, Christian. We love you. <laughs> um, we call him the Viking because he's from Finland. And he talks like this. He's so awesome. <laughs> uh, I love it. So, you know, I'm curious, knowing knowing your plan as a visionary, you, you're very clear on where you guys are going. And this is so exciting. And also what you know that's currently going on with the medical system, just, you know, to provoke a thought. Where do you think the medical system is heading over the next couple of decades? Um, well, if I have anything to say about it, it's going to go more towards a holistic approach. The word holistic means looking at the whole body, not just isolating areas and treating that one area. Um, they're going to stop looking at pain as the enemy and looking at pain as a result of a problem and look for the true cause of the problem. And um, I think there's going to be a fight before we get to that point. I think it's going to get ugly. Um, there'll be a lot of name calling and accusations and campaigns to slander certain types of treatment. And, but you know what, that's where I've been in my whole career. You know, if I, if I wanted to be popular, I wouldn't have picked to be a chiropractor. Um, right. You want to be popular and make a lot of money or do you want to make a mother difference? That's right. You, I want to, I want to make a lot of money helping people get well and saving a lot of money. Um, so that's what we do. And so the, the way we actually do it is we're using physical medicine. So that's, um, rehab, physical therapy. Uh, chiropractic. We do these injections. Janet Travell wrote these books back in the 70s and 60s. She treated John F. Kennedy and she was against using things like steroids and, and pain meds. She was all about breaking adhesions. See, what causes arthritis is scar tissue from old injuries or from surgery. And she would use lidocaine, which is 99% saline solution, and inject it into areas that were arthritic and the fluid would expand and break the adhesions. And it would give you a, a window of opportunity to rehab that joint, especially because lidocaine will numb up the joint for like 45 minutes. So it gives you a chance to get some movement in there. And movement is what stops arthritis, not causes it. So I think there's going to be a shift towards that. There's going to be a shift. We use bracing. And, um, you know, we saw with uh, during the pandemic, the way to keep people out of the emergency room was telemedicine prescribing bracing. President Trump said to do that because... He said, people don't want to go to the emergency room. And that's true. The emergency room business went way down. We had people calling our clients saying, one guy called up. I remember the story. 
I fell off a ladder. I think I broke my shoulder, but I don't want to go to the emergency room. So he came in and the doctor who looked at him said, you didn't break your shoulder. You dislocated it. So they reset it, but it was injured. So I said, now we got to do rehab. So he went through the program. He got all better. So um, that's going to be where it goes. People are stopping going to their family doctor because the family doctors are quitting. That's why nurse practitioners are gaining more and more autonomy. There's nothing wrong with the doctors, but there's certainly nothing wrong with the nurse practitioners. They are very passionate. You know, as going to nursing school, nurses go into that to try to help people. So nurse practitioners are getting more and more autonomy with their license. So there'll be more of them. And I think the shift will be because they don't want to prescribe a lot of drugs away from pharmaceuticals and towards these more um, function-based modalities to help people find out why they have the pain and to avoid that pain by fixing the problem. So good. Love that. So good. exciting. War is coming, but a better future is coming as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for anybody who is experiencing pain, because I know that a bunch of you guys have talked about it too, like, you know, like who do they contact or how do they, you know, find um, somebody in their get area. treatment from AMI? Well, we're going to uh, create a certification process for these clinics that have our systems in. And those 250, you know, there, if you look at the, the um, markets in the United States, there's about 286 major markets. So the reason we're going with 250 is we want those guys to expand. So that's going to be more like a thousand clinics. So there will be AMI clinics all over the country. Um, but right now, I guess uh, if people wanted to reach in, they could go to our website, amidoctors.com, or they could call uh, a clinic that has integration uh, ideals and ask them if they're an AMI clinic, or uh, if there's any doctors out there who want to get involved with this and become one of our clients, they could reach out to Mark, M-A-R-C, at amidoctors.com, and he'll put them on the path on how to figure out how to do that. Love that. So tell us, where can people, you know, reach out to you in the case that, you know, they have any questions or just want to find out more information? Or follow you or... Well, they could, they, uh, well, I am on Instagram and I am on LinkedIn, Dr. Mike Carberry or amidoctors.com or AMI doctors. And then if they have questions, they can send them to market AMI doctors.com. And we'll make sure that if I can't get back to them personally, one of us will get back to them. Cause we have a, we have like 50 people that work with us. So we have a whole team. Great, man. Thank you so much. Superhero Dr. Mike. Well, you guys are superheroes too. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> we, we appreciate your time. We know how extremely valuable it is. We know that it definitely added so much value for those of you guys who are listening live, look, you guys, I saw that a bunch of you guys have said that a bunch of your friends are chiropractors. You're going to share this. You know that the best symbol of gratitude is to pay it forward. So if this, if this added value to you, you know, just pay it forward. Pay forward a really strong, powerful, and positive message. And that being said, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. For those of you guys for listening and watching this live. Thank you so much for your time as well. We will catch you guys next week. And Mike, we will see you on the flip side. Thanks, Aaron. Let's fight the good fight. Thank Bye -bye. you for your time. You. Bye, guys. Okay. Thank you for listening to Espresso with Aaron and Suri. On your way out, be sure to check out our website, AaronandSuri.com, to keep up to date with what we have going on and maybe grab some free stuff. And if you feel so inclined, hop on over to leave us a five-star review, wink, wink. And remember, life is more fun when you subscribe to Aaron and Sarit. <laughs>